Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning we continue our series. We're actually finishing the Outward Disciplines. We're continuing our series on spiritual disciplines. And as we've walked through this series, I have loved the feedback that I've gotten from many of you about different disciplines and the way that they've impacted you in the past and they are now and just the way that God is continuing to move in our midst. Amen? It's, it's not something where we look at these in historical fashion and say, look what God did a long time ago. That's really neat. Let's celebrate God. Instead, we experience God now. And spiritual disciplines, in many cases, are action or are, are things that we facilitate or things that we are obediently stepping into that allow the openness, this, these open channels for God to change us, to transform us, to bring forth a new day in our relationship with him and our relationship with others. And these outward ones specifically are typically an outpouring or an overflow of what God is doing within us. In fact, last week as we talked about being a good steward and giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure, part of that was the recognition that it first starts with a heart that's bent towards God. Because what we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure on is an indication of who we worship, of what we honor, of the values and the priorities we have in our lives. And I'd venture to say that today's, this steadfast labor spiritual discipline, is one that can specifically be, uh, once again, highlighted or is an outpouring of an inward change within us. Now, I, I made this joke during the prayer meeting that we have before first service, and I'm going to say it now, and then if you guys don't laugh, I won't say it during second service, because first service, or because the prayer time, they didn't laugh, so we'll see how good, but Oftentimes, when we think about the word labor, we think about that thing that women go through. And I can tell you, I don't know anything about that. I've never had a child. The only person that I know of that has honored God through their labor is Mary. Because, okay, never mind. Didn't laugh. We're done. That's it. The joke is over. Well, this morning, as we talk about uh, steadfast labor, we, we recognize, we reflect upon the fact that God has called us to do things, to work, to step out. And certainly, actually I had a conversation with somebody before service that it's interesting. We're talking about labor on the day of Sabbath. And I'll just say that if you wanted to, I would call you back. We could come in on Monday and we could talk about labor, but I just have the feeling that you wouldn't show up. And so I'm going to do it today. We're going to engage in this today and we're going to talk about what it means to, to labor, steadfast labor for, for God and for the kingdom. Have you ever been uh, and just recognition here, there are children in the room, and so I expect some hands. Have you ever been to a water park? Anybody in here ever been to a water park? Okay, I see some hands, I see some hands. I don't know about you, but I enjoy a trip to the water park. I enjoy going to the water park for primarily the best part of it, which is the... What? Lazy River. No, the slides, right? The slides. <laughs> the slides, are we okay with that? We like the slides. Okay, well, I, I enjoy the slides. I enjoy the, the, the opportunity to be able to, to, uh, to get the tube and, and to be able to sit in the, in the, in the top of the, the slide kind of with that anticipation waiting for either the lifeguard or the light to turn green so that I can go down and enjoy that time of getting wet and then at the bottom always accidentally falling off the tube into the water, right? I, I love that, that moment, that rush, that exciting fun that it is to go down the tube and especially I love it and perhaps you've been to these kind of water parks, uh, I love it to, 
the, the, the times that you get to do those together. So maybe it's a double tube, right? And you get to sit in there with somebody else. Or maybe it's one of those big ones where it's a huge inner tube and several people can sit in there. In any event, I love the thrill of going down the tube, down the slide. And one of the interesting things is, in many cases, that thrill, that excitement, that fun that takes place all the way down and then also at the bottom only takes place in large part because of some very difficult work that takes place before you get to the moment of setting that tube in the water at the top of the slide and sitting on it. Not too long ago, I was at a water park and there was uh, a little boy there and I was watching this little boy, and this is water park's another place for people watching, right? And I was watching this little boy as he made his way to where all the inner tubes were stored. And you've probably seen this before if you've been to a water park. Typically, there's a place where all the inner tubes gather. Sometimes it's outside of a lazy river or at the bottom of a slide. Well, this is one place where they all were together. And I watched this little boy as he made his way through all the people, fighting his way through, going kind of against the stream of where everyone was coming, all the way to where the tubes were. And he got to where the tubes were. And when he got there, they were all gone. It was like they all just got pulled right before he got there, and they were all gone. And so he's standing there waiting for somebody to be done with their tube. Now, this is when the, the place had just opened, and so typically what happens is people will go a few times before they'll give their tube up. And so he's sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm kind of watching him, hoping, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm hoping that he can get a tube, that he can find one, and eventually he gets a tube. Somebody leaves a tube there, and he gets it, and he's fighting his way to the stairs, and he gets on the stairs. And as he's getting on the stairs, I watch him somewhat struggle as he tries to find a way that he can adjust this tube to get up to the top of the stairs so he can go down the slide. And eventually someone else is, it comes in line, they help him kind of get to the top, and he finally gets all the way to the top. After he waits in line, after he gets his tube, he gets all the way to the top. And as he gets to the top, he realizes, as soon as the lifeguard asks him to stand in front of one of these measuring sticks, right? He realizes when he gets to that point that he's not tall enough to ride. Now, fortunately, at this particular water park, there's a green section, which is you can ride whatever you want without any kind of care in the world. There's a red section, which is, okay, you can't ride anything, but there's this, this little window of hope, this yellow section right in the middle. And the yellow section basically indicates that you can ride as long as you're with someone else who is in the green section. And as I watch this guy at the top, he kind of looks around and there's this, this other family that's next to him. And this woman, she says to him, I've got a double tube right here. I'll ride with you. And so they get in the tube together and they ride. And I watched as he came out of the tube at the, at the, the slide at the bottom with excitement on his face, a huge smile, so excited about what took place. And then as he got to the end of the, the little place where you, where you get out of the, your, your tube, he gets off and he's so excited. And this woman says, you know what, let me buy you some Dippin' Dots. And so he gets some Dippin' Dots and then he goes to another place and they're giving away all these free things. You know, okay, I got to a point where that... that became untrue. Okay, so I just have to tell you. The whole thing happened, um, except for a couple things I just added in. But, so, but this child, he had so much fun. And I think sometimes what takes place is particularly spiritually in our lives is we see the excitement of all the things that take place. We see maybe perhaps the fruit of what God is doing. We see the way that God is, is, is blessing and maybe not the way that we would consider, the world would consider a blessing. We see all the things that take place and we recognize in all of those aspects, wow, this is amazing what God has done. We even read about it in scripture. We read about all the miracles that Jesus did as he walked on this earth and think, wow, that stuff is so amazing. And then sometimes we might look at our own life and think, man, my life's kind of dull. Things, things are difficult. 
I find myself fighting for a tube from time to time or maybe having to march all the way up the hill or maybe I get to the top of the, 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 the stairs and I, I, I get there and I think, man, I can't believe that I did all that work and it's all for naught. Let me just say, today as we step into this passage and we step into this sermon together, let us reflect upon the fact that sometimes in life, particularly most times in life, God will call us to be obedient, particularly in the small things and particularly in things that we don't always recognize why he's calling us or how he's going to work through it. But he will call us to step forward. And then the thrill and the fruit and perhaps something that we don't even recognize until way down the line that takes place is all a result of God's miraculous, provisional, blessing hand. And so for you and I, in many cases, the call is simply to step forward in obedience. Perhaps to, quote, step forward in steadfast labor and allow God to work. We're going to read specifically from Mark's gospel. Mark was one of the, the four um, men that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to write down uh, the narrative about Jesus' life and all the things that he did. And particularly one of the things that he wrote down specifically that we're going to read about today was one of the miracles that Jesus accomplished. One of the miracles that Jesus did while he was here on this planet. And the miracle is a simple one. It's amazing, in fact. It's a, it's a miracle about how he fed 5,000 people. And he did so with very little means. There were people that were hungry. And so he decided, okay, here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them the food that they need to be able to sustain them. You know, he, he, he basically, he acted as the first Chick-fil-A, right? He fed all these people somehow. And, all right, I, I, man, you guys are not awake. I'll just, just stick to the Bible, Steve. That's what you're best at, right? Amen, amen. <laughs> this specific passage particularly highlights not just Jesus' miracles, but highlights the work of the disciples. And so I'm going to read through uh, verse 30, chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. And we're going to look at some specific insights. And if you are one of those note takers, there's a little bit of room there. You can take down some notes. And I'll just tell you, if you're a fill-in-the-blank note taker, uh, hold on to your pen for a while because we're going to go through the passage first and then we're going to circle back and, and do some, some highlighting of some points. Starting in verse 30, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Let me, actually, like I said, I am going to pause. Let me just stop right there and just kind of set the stage for this specifically. So right here, Jesus is in this place. His disciples, who are returning from their third missionary journey, are so excited. And perhaps you've been somewhere where you've greeted someone, they get off the plane at an airport, and they're so excited to tell you what happened. The disciples have returned. They're so excited to share, here's all the things that took place. And so they're, they're all gathered around him. And, and, and in many cases, we're excited to hear these things. Maybe a friend or a family member comes back from a trip abroad, and they want to tell you all about it. But let's just take things into context here. If you look back at the previous passage, Jesus just found out that John the Baptist was beheaded. And so here Jesus is sitting somewhere, he's relaxing somewhere, and the disciples come to him, the apostles come to him, and they are filling his ears with noise. They're filling his ears with all this information. So he's trying to process the loss of a loved one, the loss of one that, that, that he cared deeply for, who not only died, but was murdered, that was killed, he was beheaded. And here he sits as the apostles come, and they begin to try to tell him all about the things that they had done and that they had taught. 
Verse 31 continues, says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, so eventually he gets to a point where he's like, okay, there's all these people around. Everybody's been following you. This is one of those situations where the mission trip actually followed the apostles. They followed, these guys did these things for us. I want to see what's going on here. They followed him back to where Jesus was. He says, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. You might pause for a moment and say, well, I thought we were talking about steadfast labor today. What's this rest thing all about? But Jesus is calling on a time where he can step away from all the things, all the distraction, all the noise, all the things taking place and say, okay, regardless of what's taken place in my life with my, with my relative being, being beheaded or with you of all the good things that have happened, let's take some time and reservation to step away and to rest. And perhaps you can attest to this, the summer days are long days, right? Anybody else relate to that? You know, it gets to like 6, 6.30 and you're like, why is it not dark out? I'm, I'm ready to, to, to put the stamp on this day and be done. And perhaps for some of you that have parents that are in the room right now and the kids might be laughing or giggling a little bit, one of the things that I've noticed is that 7, 8 o'clock is a time for planning, a time for scheming when it comes to kids. And what I mean by that is, from time to time, what takes place, and I remember this when I was a kid, I don't remember when the transition happened, but uh, what happens is 7, 8 o'clock, especially if you're playing with a friend or a neighbor or, or, or a cousin or something along those lines, you start to scheme about how can we keep this long summer day going? And all of a sudden, it pops into one of the kids' minds, hey, what about a sleepover, right? Anybody been there before? And so they start to work on you a little bit. We don't have anything going on tomorrow. We could, we could take them to church in the morning. I was like, well, it's Tuesday. What, what church are you going to on a Wednesday? That doesn't work. And you have this sleepover conversation. And eventually, and this is what I remember when I was younger, eventually you get your parent, especially if you work on one or the other that you know is probably going to say yes, get your parent to get to that point where they don't just say yes, but they say, I guess, which my mom, she would say, I guess. And it took me two or three times to realize that means yes. And that day continues and continues and continues. And Jesus was seeing the handwriting on the wall. These people are not going to stop coming. This day is going to continue and continue and continue. And you and I both know this, that life will keep coming. The time that we have, the, the time that you have is going to get filled. And if we don't decide, if you don't decide what goes in your day planner or how your time is filled, somebody else or something else is going to. And so the reality is that Jesus recognized if we don't get away and we don't get with the Father and we don't get in a quiet place, then this time is just going to get used more and more and more. And he wasn't saying that people aren't important. He wasn't saying that it's not important to minister. It's not important to be steadfast in our labor. What he was saying was that the source, the engagement with the Father is the most important thing. Summer days get long. Every day gets long. But without the power of the Spirit, without getting in the presence of God, those long days can be difficult. They can be lonely. They can be the worst. The narrative continues in verse 32. It says like this, it reads like this. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, I've been on boats from time to time. Perhaps you have as well. When you get on a boat, it can seem solitary. When you go out into the water and they, they got on this boat and they knew how to sail. Many of them were fishermen. So they got out on the water and said, okay, we're away from everybody else. We're in a quiet place. 
33 says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And here, just kind of a pause for just a moment. We recognize the fact that these people, they needed a savior. They needed a shepherd. And as they saw Jesus and as they saw the apostles who they had recognized from all the work that they had done, they wanted to be part of this. They wanted to experience this. They wanted to know this Jesus. And as the crowd followed the disciples and and Jesus and get to this place, Jesus did something amazing. He had compassion on them. He cared for them. He showed sympathy. He showed concern for them. Verse 36 or 35 continues like this. By this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. And so at that point, you're recognizing that Jesus has, has his long day. He goes off in a solitary place and then has an even longer day as he teaches and as he shows them the way. He taught all day. He shared the gospel all day. And the disciples, at this point, they wanted to send them away. It says, verse 36, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, if you were to look at the cultural historical background of this place, there, there was, there was 5,000 men in this place. And we'll talk about that in a little while as well. But that also, or that doesn't include, as Matthew talks about, women and children which would have been probably another three quarters. So probably closer to 20,000 people. Well, at this, pl- at this point, the two neighboring towns didn't have more than two to 3,000 people each. And so for 20,000 people to go into the neighboring towns, as the disciples had suggested, to find some food was basically impossible. And so what the disciples are basically saying is, this is somebody else's problem. Have them fix it. Go somewhere else. Find something else. Just get out of our hair. It sounds almost as we read that in black and white that the disciples cared for him. Hey, yeah, take care of it. Yeah, go get, go get some food. But instead, what we've recognized through the context of, of where they were and what was going on at that place is he was basically, they were basically saying, go somewhere and starve. We, we can't handle this. The disciples at this point, after this long day and after all the things that they, quote, had done, were a little bit hangry. They were at a point where they were, they were hungry, they were tired, they were, they were done with this mission trip, and they thought, okay, the mission trip followed us, but we are ready to take a break. And the cool thing is, in, in most cases, is, is in the reality of how Jesus works, is he doesn't always work in the way, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about this, he doesn't always work in the way that we might expect. In fact, he doesn't always give us the, 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 uh, the insight, so to speak, of what's going to take place. Instead, in many cases, because of the way that he cares for us, and because of the way that, that he is God and we are not, he brings forth solution and resolution and reconciliation in ways that we might not have ever thought of or knew were possible. In verse 37, he does something profound. He says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. In essence, he doesn't take it on himself and say, okay, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to get it all figured out. I've got all the provisions for all the people that are here. Instead, he says, you give them something to eat. And the disciples began to pat their, their pockets. I don't have, I got a mint here, I think. I, got, I don't have, I got maybe some, some fish oyster crackers or goldfish. But, you know, they, they began to, to, to almost panic at that point. You give them something to eat. And so their response was this. They said to him, that would be, that would take more than a half a year's wages. 
if there was even a, a grocery store that we could even go to, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And they were thinking kind of in a, in a okay, well, in, you know, if we were to look at this from stewardship eyes, we shouldn't go and just spend all our money on these things. Instead, we should spend it for this or that or whatever it might be. We're going to build this temple at some point, God. We need the money here. Uh, Jesus has, has, has provi- provided this, this, this plan so we can't spend it on a bunch of food for a bunch of strangers. They're just going to leave us. And here's Jesus' response. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they, found, <clears throat> when they found out, they said five and two fish. And so Jesus, rather than going out and saying, I'm going to do all the work, I'm going to miraculously feed everybody or give them a sense of, uh, of being fulfilled in their stomachs, I'm going to use you. The apostles, the ones who have denied me, the ones who have doubted me, the ones who have done their own thing. I'm going to use you in this small way to be able to do a big work. And so he sends them out to get the food. He sends them out to find things that that are around them. And they come back with this small amount, these five loaves and two fish. And perhaps you've been there before where God has said, here's what I have for you. Here's what I'm calling you to. And you kind of look, you pull out your pocket and say, well, God, I don't have the skills or the gifts. I I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the resource to do what you're calling me to do. And and God in his mind is thinking to himself, heaven is filled with stories of people who have said yes to a small confusing request with little to give. But the reality is when you say, when I say yes to God, no matter how small or minute we feel, no matter how few resources we have, God can do amazing, miraculous things. Spoiler alert, in verse 39 through 44, we're going to read that right now. It says, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. I love this specifically because he found this provision of taking care of them by giving them plush green grass to sit on. And the metaphor there is profound. Perhaps you didn't know this, uh, but the metaphor there is, is amazing. And it actually comes specifically from the Old Testament, from the, from the uh, Mosaic law, the Mosaic camps of 50 to 100 people coming together in order in the desert. And the, the, the great thing about this is, is so cool. The actual word there, groups, it translates in the original language to garden plots. And so what, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is these are the people that we are investing in. This, this, is, the, this is the growth. This is, this is what, what, what we are going to do to, to help the kingdom grow, to help the, the gospel be shared. We're going to invest in these garden plots, so to speak. This metaphor is amazing. Jesus was, was drawing on the past and sowing the seeds of the good news in the present to those that were there. He provided this comfortable green grass that God had promised. In fact, in, in Isaiah 34, it reads about the shepherd came into the desert. And would become a rich pasture where the sheep would be gathered and fed. And here the Messiah feasts with flowers in the desert. And Jesus is the shepherd who provides for all the needs. Nothing is lacking to those who are in need. Back to verse 40, it reads like this. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. The power coming from heaven, the distribution coming from the disciples, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. 
And the number of men who had eaten were five, who had eaten was 5,000. Now I look at this specific passage and I think, why, why, do they, why do they give back? Why do they have 12 left over? Why bread? Why does that matter? Jesus gave this food to his disciples to do the work. They all ate. They were all satisfied. And the bread specifically is symbolic of the object that God uses to reveal his faithfulness. God reveals his faithfulness through specific tangible things. And the, and the metaphor and the usage of the symbology of the bread indicates that he is not only faithful in giving them this, this tangible need so that they might not go hungry, but he's there to give them a spiritual fulfillment, a fulfillment of his love, a fulfillment of his reconciliation, a fulfillment of, of, of life in the darkness, in the brokenness. There were 5,000 people there. And, and like I said, Matthew discusses the, the children and the, and the women that were there. And there's, there's a, just an amazing thought of the fact that there was no plan B. They couldn't go somewhere else. They, there was no grocery store to go to. There weren't enough homes or enough food or enough resources in the surrounding area to support the, 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 the hunger that was right there. Instead, Jesus knew there is no plan B. I am the way. And that's the same truth that we experience today. Now, God does take care of our needs. That part is, is true. That's a, that's a lateral understanding. But also, at the same time, he is the only way. Perhaps you've tried other things in life. Perhaps you've tried other religions, so to speak, or put your stock in other people or, or other items or in stature or in money. Perhaps you've put your, 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 your stock or your, your influence or your thought in those things. Let me just tell you, Jesus is the only way. He is the eternal He's the everlasting. He's the one true sacrifice. This is an amazing account of Jesus' provision and his faithfulness. And as we read this passage, we do so in the understanding that God always has a word. God always has something for you and for me. And so we're going to look specifically at just three actions of steadfast labor. Let's look first at these two words. Steadfast means unwavering. It means persistent. It means resolute, committed, dedicated. It means doing it full focus, full force. And then labor on the other end is work. It's working hard. It's making an effort. You know, for, for, the, for the kids in the room, I, what I've, I've done for this sermon specifically is we've got points there that are specific. But also, what's the action that comes out of that? And I say that's for the kids, but it's really for all of us. And the first point is this, specifically looking at those first couple of verses, the apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they had done and taught. And taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have even a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. And the first fill in the blank is this, steadfast labor is empowered by God alone. It's empowered by God alone. It can only be truly steadfast if God is the catalyst. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us moving. There's no, there's no stopping. There's no turning around. When God is the one that's filling us, that's driving us, that's guiding us, we recognize a new perspective, a new way of engaging in life and engaging in the things around us. And the action is this. Very simple. Spend time with God. Spend time with God. And that's so easy to say and so simple to think about. But man, when the day gets going and the summer days are getting longer and longer, it's so hard to get up that next day or it's so hard to take some time and to, and to regiment some moments in quiet and solitude and meditation in scripture and prayer. 
spend time with God. In a quiet place, as the scripture says, in a solitary place, in the presence of God, we are filled. It's always good to start your day off right. Perhaps you start your day off right with a, with a bowl of Wheaties or some other bowl of sugar with milk on top of it. Let me just say this. I'll just say this right now. We have one of the, the, the greatest opportunities ever in the context of community. Whether it be in your family where you live or maybe some neighbors or co-workers or maybe it be with some people that you connect with on a daily basis. When we talk about this idea of spending time with God, certainly there's a personal time we should spend with God. But maybe, maybe one actionable item is to make the commitment to spend time in prayer with those close to you every day. And if you're taking additional notes, maybe that's a take-home to write down on your, 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 your sermon notes right now. Spend time every day intentionally with those that you love. And in those prayers, lift up one another, lift up each other's needs and conversation. But at the same time, ask for opportunity for God to provide an avenue, a way, something for you to do. To step forward as God calls you to do so. The second point comes specifically from uh, verses 33 through 36. And this is that interaction between the, ne the necessary need, what they see before them with all these people. And at the same time, the fact that the disciples, they, they, they almost reflected, they said, no, no, or dejected. They said, no, Jesus, we can't do this. We, we can't be part of this. There's too much work here. We don't have the gifts. And the point is this, steadfast labor is made possible with open eyes, ears, and hearts. Oftentimes it's hard to see or to hear the needs that are around us because we're not looking for them. We're so busy looking at the things before us or the reasons why it won't work or we're focused on things that, that Satan might put before us, not necessarily even a sin, but just distractions that we don't always understand or see what God has for us. I've got a short video clip from a movie that perhaps some of you have seen before. I'm going to play this real quick. And as we do, as we do, I want you to kind of think about the context of what the main character is hearing and then the response that the main character has. Go ahead and play that. You know, I love to tinker, but all the tinkering in the world isn't useful unless it starts with a good idea. So, look around for a need and start coming up with ideas to fill that need. One idea will lead to another, and before you know it, you've done it. See a need, fill a need. That's it, Dad. I have to look for... a need. You know, that short clip illustrates something very powerful. Looking for a specific need. And the, the second point there, the action is this. See a need, fill a need. If you don't see one, you can't fill it. And certainly now, seeing a need isn't always uh, a calling, but it is an opportunity. Perhaps the way that you fill that need is to pray for them. Perhaps the way that you fill that need is to stop and to talk to somebody who is in need. Perhaps you see somebody along the road or you see someone at work. Or you see a, a, a classmate in the cafeteria or in the gym who's, who feels out of place. The opportunity you have is to step in and to be Jesus. Meaning you share his words. You share his, his truth. You share his love. You, you, you maybe share a, a meal together or a prayer and the encouragement in, in all of this is the recognition to not necessarily see the things of this world that the things might want to have you to see, but instead to see people, to see this world through the eyes of Jesus, which is reflecting upon the fact that, the, the fact that God has given you, an eye, given you eyes, given you ears 
giving you the opportunity to be able to engage with those around you. And finally, the third one is this. The obedience of steadfast labor is often a window for the miraculous. And this is where we started. If you remember that story I started with, with the boy that was attempting to try to to get to the top of the water slide and all the work that went into it until that miraculous, exciting ride at the end of it. Let me just say that oftentimes God calls us, he calls you and I to things that might seem difficult, that might seem bleak. He calls us to things that we might look at just the same way the disciples didn't thought, I don't think this is going to work out the way you think it is. Or I don't have the resources that you are calling me to produce. I don't have the, the, the wherewithal. I don't know scripture well enough to talk to that coworker about the issue they're walking through. I don't have the time because I got so much going on. I don't have the, the, the money to be able to invest in, in whatever this might be. And in essence, what, what, what we recognize here through Jesus, through, through his actions here and through God's call for us is that oftentimes he just calls us to step forward with what we have and who we are. And then he does the rest. And that should, in a lot of ways, be almost a relief to us. Because the Holy Spirit does the work, we simply step forward in obedience. And so steadfast labor is a reflection of the obedience or the, 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 the work that the Holy Spirit's already doing. In the narrative, Jesus calls his disciples to do the work. In verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. Not here, uh, I'll take care of it. You guys, uh, you know, just kind of watch what I do. In verse 38, once again, he says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, Go and see. You do the work. You get out there and do it. I've called you to be part of this. God wants us to be part of his redemptive work. And the action is this. Step out and let God work. The action is for us to step out and allow God to work. Allow God to, to, just, to just unleash him by allowing him to work in our lives. To be faithful and to let us show us exactly what he's done. You've probably heard uh, many stories about those who have stepped out, who have done great things for God, who have done great things for, for, uh, for God in their own context, in different ways. And sometimes they do so from the platform of having much or having a, a, a great deal of influence. And sometimes you hear stories specifically about individuals who have stepped forward to say yes to God from the very loneliest or the smallest of places. And God has really worked because of one simple act of obedience. Amy Wilson Carmichael was a Protestant Christian missionary in India who opened an orphanage and founded a mission in Donavore, India. She served in India for 55 years without furlough and wrote many books about the missionary work there. She was from a small village in Northern Ireland to parents David and Catherine Carmichael. Her parents were Presbyterians and she was the eldest of seven siblings and Amy's father died when she was only 18. Amy was the founder of the Welcome Evangelical, the Carmichaels in general were the, were the founders of the Welcome Evangelical Church in Belfast. And as she grew up in this home, she grew up in these humble beginnings, she felt a call in her life. And that call took her to a place, a convention where she heard from Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Missionary uh, uh, Organization. And soon afterwards, she became convicted of her calling to step into missionary work. She applied to the China Inland Mission uh, and lived in London at the Training House for Women where she met author and missionaries to China, Mary Geraldine Guinness, who encouraged her to pursue missionary work in which, in many ways, in, in which she did by stepping full force all the way headlong into missionary work in India. 
But not before she, in 1893, she traveled to Japan for 15 months where she served as a missionary. She arrived in India there shortly after her lifelong vocation. In 1898, she took her first woman in, first refugee woman. In 1899, she took in the first refugee girl. In the 1900s, she moved uh, to, 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 uh, to Donavore, India. And in 1901, Amy rescued her first temple child, starting a mission for orphans, which were eventually became the Donavore Fellowship for children who were being exploited by the temples there. Half her life and half her ministry was, uh, her lifelong ministry, I should say, was spent saving children from exploitation. And in this fellowship, as it continued to grow in Christian community, she lived and surrounded herself by children and staff and frequent visitors who loved Jesus and who served those who were in need. Amy writes from her experiences as someone who is fully engaged with people, and her story is an amazing one with many different things that she did and things that she said. She served as a missionary in India for 56 years a far-off land, a place that she'd never been before, but a place where God had called her to step out and just say yes. Now, certainly, I don't expect everybody in here to feel a call to vocational missions. Because if you did, I don't know who I'd preach to next week. But what I do know is this, that all of us, whether it's our vocation or not, are called to a mission now. And your mission might be to be a godly and righteous father in your home. Your mission might be to be a school teacher or a professor that, that honors God in all that you do and, and in your pupils you, you pour into them the love of Jesus, maybe not directly because you're not allowed in the classroom, but you do so uh, by, by being a, a light that is different from the world. Perhaps as a, as a homemaker, perhaps as, as a person who, who is an electrician or works with your hands, perhaps as, as, as someone who every day is traveling to a new place, going to different offices, whatever it might be, wherever God calls you, he's given you the opportunity to step out. And when you do, he can do the miraculous. Now, oftentimes for me, and perhaps you've been there, you want to have all the steps planned out. And it is good to be a good steward and to think things out, but... In many cases, it starts with just saying yes. So this morning as we close, I want to do a couple of things as we close in this prayer time together. One, I want this to be a moment where we reflect upon maybe a place right now or an area where something that God is calling us to do where we just say yes. Maybe it's of our time. Maybe it's yes to a, a time of saying, okay, we're going to have prayer every morning with our family or over breakfast, or we're going to take a moment and we're going to pause. You know, mornings are so chaotic. We go here, we go there. Let me just say, it, it, is, it is something that needs to be scheduled because it's not just going to happen on its own. Perhaps this is a moment where you say, okay, there's a place in my life where I've been holding back and God's saying, I want that thing. And when you let go, you know and I know and scripture says that God is going to have an amazing impact. He's going to do miraculous things when we say yes and we open our hands to him. Additionally, I want to take a moment this morning as we close in, in this service and prayer to, to lift up our children. They're going to be leaving for camp. And then additionally, just I'll just say this, next month is focused solely around, our, our community project is solely focused around engaging our kids as they go back to school, praying over them and giving them resources as an opportunity to be able to empower them and empower our families. But may this be the start of that, this prayer right now. And so I want to ask you if you'd stand right now. 
And if you feel comfortable, maybe link arms or hold hands with the person or the people next to you as we pray together, recognizing that you are probably, some of you, with your family, but also this is our church family. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the way that you have embraced us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that your character is one that directs us in all ways, in all aspects, in all frames of life towards recognizing your light, experiencing your, your love, experiencing your reconciliation. So God, may we see that anytime we're, we step into a, a dark place or anytime we find a frustration or a barrier or anything that it might be, God, may we recognize you on the other side of it. We, we recognize that you are the one that empowers us to step through. God, may we step forward in obedience to say yes, no matter how you call us to do so. May we, in our steadfast labor, reflect the labor of your spirit and reflect the principle of your son as your son has provided for those who are in need. God, I pray that you would open doors as we have open eyes, open hearts, and open ears to the needs that are around us. Give us, Father, direction Give us, God, Father, resolve. Help us, God, to be determined as we step forward. God, may we be a kingdom force for you in this community and beyond. And God, we also lift up our children, specifically those that will be going to camp this week. God, that you would speak to each one of them, that you would pour into each one of them your truth, that they may hear your voice. God, you know no age. For you, God, you call the young and the old alike. You use those that are, the hearts that are open, no matter what age we are, God, may each one be, be reflecting of that and, and be cognizant of the way that you can move and do move and change when we say yes and step forward. God, I pray for the families, for the couples, for the, for the individuals of this church. God, may we be a kingdom force in this community. May we be your hands, your feet, and your mouthpiece as we pour into our, our neighbors, our acquaintances, our friends, our coworkers, uh, our, our, our students in class, whoever it might be. Thank you, God, for the way that you move. Thank you, God, for the way that you are present in our lives. We ask that you would lead us and you would guide us from this day forward. In your son's name we pray and all of us said together, amen, amen. Hear this benediction. It is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desires that he creates. And that quote is from Amy Carmichael. Go this week knowing that God has called you to this moment, to this day. Go with God, he'll go with you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.